0: Hello and welcome to The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. I'm your host, Dr. David Hardy, and today on our show, we've got another amazing guest. She is a business consultant, executive coach, and a top team accelerator. Welcome to the show, Margie Olson. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Absolutely this is exciting so let's just start it off with hitting it hard how do people leaders teams fall apart what's what's the mess that that occurs here and There's a
1: lot of mess and there's a lot going on. You can imagine the complexity when you have multiple people in an organization and then multiply that by dozens and hundreds and thousands. And along the way, when I was in corporate America, I'd spent decades there in a variety of industries and different sizes of organizations, uh, for-profit, non-profit, government, and the issues were similar, and that was fascinating to me. And I had a firsthand look at what it's like to be a leader and have a leader and have a leader try to be a leader when they necess- don't necessarily have the skills or the knowledge or the experience or the um, the, the practice. And so- Wait, wait, I, wait. Aren't,
0: aren't people promoted on merit? <laughs> people are promoted a lot. There's a lot of
1: promotion. And I think the people that are doing the promoting are also not aware that they can learn how to be better leaders. And so leadership, is an art and science no different than other things. But we have this uh, situation where we know to hire for someone who went to law school, and we know to hire for someone who is a global supply chain expert, and we know to hire a CPA, and we certainly wouldn't grab someone off the street or promote them from operations to start doing finance because we think they're a, a good person or they've been here a long time. And so, we learn leadership from the leaders before us, and our leaders have not necessarily learned how to do that either. And I uh, am aware that our first leaders are the ones that were around when we were born. We learn Uh, leadership and team, being part of a team as children and then as young adults and in uh, groups that we belong to and activities and jobs. And as soon as we start the job cycle, we are now working and learning leadership from people who also do not necessarily know the art and science of how to do that. So there's art and science to leadership, and there's art and science to being a team, and leaders are not well-trained in either, and they're kind of making it up as they go along. And they get involved in so much busyness that the culture just takes a hold of them and things then start to happen just out of inertia and habits. And the the things they do try, there are things that they try, they'll grab a consultant to come in or they'll do training, they'll do leadership development, but it's a piece. And then they'll go back to firefighting, they'll go back to the pain points that they have, and um, and old habits all just come back uh, in full force.
0: Absolutely. And you've mentioned this um, early on in, in the interview here that you've worked with small companies to large corporate companies, and it's a lot of the same problems. But um, aren't a lot of the smaller companies people that are learning kind of how to lead things and maybe a little more chaotic or... And then the, the stereotype with corporate America is, aren't these kind of dinosaurs that get promoted because there is nowhere else to put somebody other than a higher position? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so with a
1: smaller company, what you're talking about is they have some of the benefit of their size, regardless of their knowledge, because the building blocks, the absolute foundational pieces you need to have in place are clarity and alignment. And you have to be able to function as a team. When you have a small company, it is much more readily available for everyone to have similar views and to operate more like a team because it's hard not to. Now, that doesn't mean that they are able to uh, hit it out of the park, but they, it is easier to make sure that 20 people are rowing in the same direction than it is to make sure that 200 or 200,000. And so what happens is you, and we're, now we're talking about the brain, these habits form. Culture is a whole mess of habits. Culture is firmly established habits that if you want to change it, and I'm, many of you have heard that it's really hard to change culture. Well, actually what they're saying is it's really hard to change habits, but we know how to do that. So you can do that. You can change your habits. So when you have 20 people and the habit is to do something a certain way and they need to change it, that's a much easier boat to shift direction than when you have hundreds and thousands now you can do it but then it starts at the top the culture and the leadership and the the to quote gino from uh, wickman from traction as goes the leadership team so goes the company
0: right now changing habits though um that's very difficult, and and I'm I'm in the neuroscience world, and I think a lot of people are getting it wrong. That yeah, it's the it's always learn this, learn this, talk, 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 and it's missing the action aspects to it. Absolutely. So in. And- in- Your roles that you've played, how do you change one person's habit and Mm -hmm. then a whole company's habit? Isn't it easier just to put people in the right position?
1: So they're not even able to put people in the right positions because they're not cohesive enough to make talent decisions together. And so they're making that up as they go along as well. And I would say that some of the issues that have really come front and center since in the last five or 10 years, these world challenges, companies are just sort of writing it off and saying, these problems are too big. We can't solve these problems. Everyone's having these problems. And the truth is, they can't solve them because they can't even talk about them in ways that are meaningful because they are every single day fighting fires every single day uh, going to the same meetings and not producing results. They have low performing meetings and they're not ever having a chance to get to, let's just deep dive into workforce today. There's a collective creativity and intuition and talent among the leadership team. And they're not getting to it often enough because they are so busy solving the same problems over and over again and not solving them for good. So the way we approach is it does start at the top. And when I work with a company, I work with the leader to start with. So the CEO or the head of a senior division. So they bring me in. And we don't even start to build Top Team Accelerator. They're not going to be able to sign on to that. The first thing they'll sign on to is a few months of executive coaching, and we will immediately look at the structure of the leadership team and the makeup, and we'll do some assessments, and we'll fix your meetings, and we'll start talking about excellence and some of the obvious first things that they want to tackle in order to look at whether or not they're going to want to be able to bring this uh, to the bigger company. And we're going to gauge fit because... What happens with a lot of leaders, the things they've tried is they weren't realizing they have to do it. You can't outsource it. You can't bring a consultant in who brings a great playbook, and the consultant is really the talented one. You can't you can't ask HR to take this on. It is really the leader. So if the leader truly is in that first few months, we identify that this is something they're going to be able to do. Then we put in place those building blocks. And what happens is for habits. So when I was um, looking well, at um, we dive um, understand- into the yeah. habits here because yeah.
0: I think we're missing one one large key here that, that you've brought up is that it starts with the CEO, or at it least does. you're starting with the CEO. So what sort of characteristics are in these people or that are needed? And are they born or are they developed?
1: hmm What's beautiful is, regardless of which type of assessment you're doing, the styles for types of leaders, there's no, um, there's no one way. You can be uh, charismatic. You don't have to be. You can be an introvert. You can be an extrovert. You can be the kind of leader that has certain uh, experiences in place. You can be the kind of leader that doesn't. What the leader needs is a very short list of things. And this, then we'll talk about they have to be willing to do what needs to be done to make this happen. But they have to have a very clear picture of where they're headed, who they are and who they are not. And without that, everything is in all different directions. So some of that chaos they're feeling, they're actually experiencing it themselves. And until oh, they can work that yeah. out for themselves, they create the chaos around them. That's number one. Number two, the people around them have to be rowing in that direction. So they have to be clear and they have to be aligned. They have to agree. They can do what they need to do to weigh in. They can do what they need to do to, um, to advocate for the position, but they cannot go back to their team and gossip. They cannot try to undermine. They cannot row in a different direction or be in their own silo. The leader has to ensure that the people on the leadership team are in sync with the leader and they are rowing in the leader's direction. And not just the goals, but today's priorities. So you might have goals, but you can't just stop talking about them. There may be priorities that really have to do with the latest firefighting. So you take care of those. Once you have that kind of clarity and alignment and we work on actually building as a team, then all of a sudden there are changes that you can start to put in place, new habits that you can develop, and you didn't even realize that it was possible. And so functioning as a team is not going off and doing some sort of a weekend together that's fun. It's really focused on the work. So can I, if I'm one of the leadership team members, can I speak to the, the teams, the other teams that are on this team? Can I speak to who's on their team? Can I speak to their job descriptions? Can I tell the story of what the leader is, is, is asking for and what's my part? So when the leader is not insisting on all of that, They've got people going off in different directions and they're actually not able to lead. So it starts there, regardless of their personality, regardless of their background, if they can get those fundamental blocks in place and then they start to set it up so that they have systems and processes and habits, they really find success, sometimes for the very first time.
0: Now with this too, and it's always kind of that top-down leadership approach and uh, I remember one joke uh, this this speaker giving and he's going to tell it better than me but he's like yeah there was this soldier in World War 1 and he got he got so ramped up and scared that he started running and he just kept running and then he bounced into this huge man and staring over him and goes I'm general so and so And he goes, "Holy shit! I didn't think I ran that far." (laughs) Oh, that's funny. And with kind of the top-down leadership approach, um, how does this work in the big companies to actually have that cohesiveness? And so you don't, you don't have it top-down far away from everyone else.
1: Yes. So you don't have it top down for every single thing. You have it top down for those things that we know, based on the art and science, the neuroscience that you're talking about, what we know that has to be true for them to be successful. And then within that, once you get to that level where you are functioning as a well-oiled machine, you have teamwork and you're treating each other with the respect that each member of the leadership team deserves and you're speaking with one voice and you're, you've reduced the gossip, you've reduced the complaining, you work together to solve problems, you collaborate and support, each. you've learned actually to trust each other. Once you put all those pieces in place, you can start to run the company in ways that includes exploration. It includes testing. It it includes one department can try one thing and one department can have another. You still can have autonomy. You still can have uh, people uh, being themselves, but they need to be focused. They need the context of that to be heading in the direction of the company's goals. So if you are a leader on that leadership team and you have your own team and you don't buy into the goals and you don't actually want to lead your team in that direction, you're not the right person for that. So either the company needs to change the goals because you're right, they're the wrong goals, or the leader needs to say you're not the right person. Having said the things that need to be the top down, There's a lot of room for a lot of management. The problem with most companies is they're so messy and they don't have the culture they want. They don't have the culture they say they have and they don't have the culture they want. It's such a mess and there's so much pain and there's so much turmoil and disruption right now that they can't get to the business of putting some of that into a stable situation so they can go off and do Some different things and try some things, and I would say these issues that we've had for the last ten years—you know, the supply chain disruption, the markets, the um, economy—now we have. You know, we've always had disruption throughout the the global environment, but now we're much more global because so many of us are working in places that are beyond where we actually live. And companies just think I can't solve those problems, but the truth is, you really can't.
0: Let's hit on that because yes, yeah. We're talking organizational leadership and organizational development, but now the organizing has completely changed. Yes. And that's a big piece in the disruption is it? yeah, there's been like outsourcing and bringing people in all the time and kind of that battle and uh, buying up small companies and amalgamizing things. But it's all followed the same pattern. So how are the things that have been developed decade after decade in leadership now going to adapt to all these changes and work from home, hybrid, all of these things? Um, So
1: some things don't change. The need for the leader to be top down and govern with a clear idea of who's in charge for which piece and where are we headed, that can't change. And it's really no different than in a household. The, 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 the adults have to be up here. And the children are much calmer, much uh, more um, clear on what where, where their life is when they know that and they can feel that. Right. And I would say, I would, uh, we've, you know, good news, bad news. The, the bad news is we cannot have people working from home 100% in every industry and in every company. no, no. It's, it's not working. Extra. It's not working. And when you get your leadership team to the point where you can have real long, detailed, creative conversations, you would already know that. If you've been able to have those conversations, you would already know that it's not working. But instead, some leaders are fighting so many fires and they're so disconnected that they are having to grapple with, are we going to let people come to the office in pajamas? That question is an indicator that you have bigger problems. Right. No, people and, and and the person who is glad to not sit on the freeway anymore, who is glad to not have a dry cleaning bill. We as leaders need to think for them because they're not making good decisions for themselves. They don't even realize it's a better life for them when they're much more engaged in the workplace. Doesn't mean it has to be 40 hours a week or 50 or 60 or in person or whatever it is. But you as a leadership team, you need to figure that out based on your industry, based on your company, based on your um, where you're headed. Not your current culture because that you really can change, but where you're headed If we miss the elements of a workplace, the informal energetic creativity exchange, the standing next to the water cooler, the, vir- the, the the virtual or the real, the getting together for just a 10-minute conversation that wasn't on the calendar, and now all of a sudden we've solved a problem and we don't even have a fire anymore. And that took 10 minutes. We don't have that right now when everybody's remote. And so you want your leadership team to have time and energy and space to really talk about remote versus in-person, new markets the schedule, where do we fit? Who are we in this changing world? And by the way, you're probably changing. And if you're not changing, you're going to regret that. Right. But you're not even thinking about that because you don't have the mental space because you're so busy trying to hold it together from the rear view mirror. And so if you can, when you get your team to be in lockstep, and they are um, clear and aligned, and they have the right operations in place, and they fix their meetings. People actually look forward to meetings. Okay, how, how do you, you have do the metrics use? Then you can get to some of these other conversations.
0: How do you do that, though?
1: Which part? The meetings. Or in how
0: do you get people rowing in the same direction? How do you yes. get them with a clear vision? Um, yes, all of this. How does? Yes, that so that is okay? why.
1: So that's why I developed Top Team Accelerator. So I was had been in corporate America for several decades, and I kind of wanted to look under the hood of organizations because I'd worked in them, and I really didn't understand why it was so hard. I didn't understand why toxic leaders got promoted. I didn't understand why teams had the same problems over and over. I didn't understand why meetings were terrible. I, once I started um, uh, being a leader, I had good meetings, I had effective meetings. So I couldn't figure even that out. So went back and earned my doctorate in organization development. And in those four years of coursework before I started my research, I thought I, I realized we know everything we need to know. We know that you have to have a team that functions well together. You have to have clarity, you have to have alignment, those pieces. So then I focused my research on then why? What is the gap? What is is the difference between what we know, that art and science, and what's happening with leaders? And there are several things. And so then when I developed Top Team Accelerator, it was to work with the way the brain operates. It was to work with the organization that's complex and has hubris and dinosaurs and all kinds of uh, uh, stuck processes. And that's why it takes longer than a couple of weeks. If you have a consultant coming in for a couple of weeks, you're not able to change things in that time. So what we do is we first educate. So there's four pillars, teamwork, commitment, which is uh, clarity and alignment, um, accountability, which is the right operations. And now we can hold each other accountable because we're comfortable doing that because we can mix it up a little bit with each other and be honest. And then performance is around, do you have the metrics in place that you want for what you need to watch. Nobody has metrics around behaviors. So if you have gossip going on right now, that is undermining the fabric of your leadership and your organization. And if you're not talking about it, why? You've not learned how to talk about gossiping is not okay and we're not going to do that. That's just one of a hundred examples. And then Top Team Accelerator is- What's one of
0: your stories then? uh, Because this is juicy. Everyone wants gossip. It's, it's TV. It's, it's how the media works. Um, so in a business culture, um, what's one of the situations you came across with gossip and what was the, the blow up about it? And, uh, and And I, and
1: I would, I would go to bat for gossip. It is juicy, but I think we do gossip because we don't have other things that feel better. So I was once brought in to a medical device company. They'd been together for nine months at this leadership, this global transformation, and they were not gaining traction. And they brought me in. I think they thought that we would have maybe an HR component or some sort of an organization develop component. But when I got in there, they just weren't a team at all. And so they had all of these team members, each of them, who were excited. They had recruited to get get on this project because it's a big deal. It's global. It's the latest, sexiest, most interesting. So come off of your day job and go on this project. And by the time I got there, there were people asking to leave the project because it was feeling disheartening. Um, They were fighting, bickering. They were talking about each other to their own teens, gossiping. It was a kind of a gossip culture for this project. And there was a, a level of politics. And someone might argue when you have politics in an organization, you can't change that. That is hubris. No, it's actually politics happen when you're not doing other things. So as soon as we spent a day and a half talking real and learning about each other in real ways, not about necessarily their personal lives, but about who they are as people. But then what's your role on the team? And what's his role on the team? And what's her role on the team? And what is her, how big is her team? And what are they doing for this? And what are their questions? And we started just moving through the very methodical building blocks of of. Building a team pretending they'd never been together before, which is what I do all the time, even though these companies have been in existence for, you know, decades, hundreds of years, we pretend, we can turn it around pretending that it just started because if they've been gossiping, their behavior needs a complete change. So once we started putting those in place, they could start to feel it and they could start to turn to each other and admit something or ask a question. Or ask for help, and as soon and and I'll use the V word, as soon as v- leaders feel vulnerable, that it's okay to be vulnerable, and ask for clarification, and ask for help, and ask for support. Trust starts to begin when they start to do that with each other, and they find that they spend less time turning back to somebody else. The, and the last thing I'll say about this, this wasn't in this example, but when gossip is a little bit stubborn. The other thing that we do is, you know, if you want to go to therapy, you might choose psychoanalysis. So you kind of go back into deep, deep reasoning and whatever. You might go to a behaviorist and they're just starting from today. So maybe you'll find some stubborn issues that you're going to have to go back. But for right now, let's just be behaviorist about it. And let's just try some new processes and some new habits. And when you talk about gossip out loud, gossip goes way down. Because gossip thrives best in the dark. We are shining light. And actually, these people are not bad people. When, when we come in with Top Team Accelerator, it is a judge-free zone. The re- One of the reasons they haven't made these changes is it's hard to change when you're feeling judged. You're just not even going there. A leader doesn't even want to ask for help. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to um, admit that they... They don't even know that they're not the only ones. They don't talk about this at pickleball or on the golf course or at dinner. They're talking about other things, but they're not admitting that they're kind of trying to do the best they can and they don't really know how to do it. When we start picking away the threads of things that are getting in the way, like gossip, like complaining, like not getting together and solving problems instead of always coming to me, when you start talking about those openly and make them okay, they start to change and people start to get more skills and they start to have some wins. And the wins are addicting.
0: And that's f- absolutely for sure. All right. So we've talked about the team. We've talked about the leaders. What about those poor people in the middle, those middle <laughs> management? And mm-hmm. why would anyone on earth want to do that?
1: <laughs> they want to do it because the culture- from,
0: from the bottom and problems from the top. Right. <laughs> they
1: they want to do it because the, culturally they're, they're told that that's cool. That's where the money is, or that's where you're never going to go farther if you don't do that. I will say, as a person who spent decades in corporate America, a lot of the uh, mishandling and dysfunction is happening at that level. So you have a lot of managers that are managing in ways that are not helpful, and- there are there are times where they shouldn't even get away with the things that they're saying and the things that they're doing and the 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 the, the negative impact they're having on the talent uh, strategy that you have. People are going out the door because they can't believe that their day is in the aus- under the auspices of this middle manager who really is not sure how to do what they need to do. So when you put the leadership team at the top to the level where they become high-performing, then they start to cascade it out into the organization. And one of the things they do, because now they've had time to talk about it, is they develop a much more robust onboarding program, and they begin to teach their leaders how to be leaders in the way that we're doing it. So they would never have a manager go off to a two-day course and call them um. Um, done. The other thing is, if your manager is all caught up in your performance management schedule of quarterly and semi-annually and annually, that's the wrong way. And it's hard to say that to leaders because they've spent a lot of money on these systems, IT systems and performance systems. But the truth is, it's not getting you what you need. The very the, the short list for an individual employee is if I'm the manager of an individual contributor. That person, A, needs to understand what the goals are of the company, the leader. Number two, what is my team's part in those goals? Number three, what's my role? Number four, do I have what I need to do my role? And then finally, number five, how do you think I'm doing, Ms., Mr. Manager? Okay? Almost every manager does not have that with their uh, direct reports. They say that they don't have time. They, they actually don't even have the clarity to even be able to speak to the leader's goals. So they're just trying to Dance and not have to talk about that. But when you start cascading that clarity and when you insist on onboarding and uh, management that is very immediate, it's informal, it's in the moment. My leader knows how I'm doing this week and they told me. They know that these three things that I'm working on are going well. This one thing, it's not getting traction. We need to talk about that. It should never be a surprise. There's no surprises, but it shouldn't even be later. It should be now. And when all of that starts to happen, middle managers start to opt out because it's an accountability that they haven't had to deal with. And some middle managers rise to such success. They've been waiting. They've been waiting to have that kind of level of excellence and accountability in their role and be able to cascade that to their
0: team. Still a hard position to, to sign people up for.
1: Imagine it'd be easier, though, if you're that middle manager and your leader has had top team accelerator, your leader has clarity and alignment and doesn't gossip to you about the leadership team, and that team is finding success and finding time and space to be um innovative, creative, try something and it didn't work, try a new market and it didn't work. When they have that kind of success, it's so much easier to report up to them. You 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 can you don't have to manage up as much. And actually, you shouldn't have to spend a lot of time managing up. They should be managing down. They they are there to help me be a good manager. If I don't have that because I'm so busy managing up, it's kind of like a kid who has to take care of the parent.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Now, speaking about that, you've mentioned the parent, the kids, so generational roles. And one generation is always going to kind of crap on the next generation. (laughs) And we saw it with the boomers, then Gen X, we really saw it with the millennials, (laughs) Uh, So what have you been seeing generational with leadership and has there been a change or is it just the same old stuff repeating itself?
1: There are lots of changes and it all boils down to the same old, same old. Uh, We have five generations in the workplace. That's new. Right. We're living longer. We we haven't had time. We've not had time to have five generations in the workplace. So we are living longer. And what I find is a bell curve in pretty much every generation. So yes, you have the outliers on either end that represent the best of the best and the the behaviors that you don't want at all that do fit the stereotype, but you have all the in-between. So if you have 10 people in an organization, regardless of their age, and you pull them together, you're going to start to see the people that are really good at one aspect of the way your business runs and somebody that's really good at another. And when you have the management set up like what I just described, you don't have to worry about the differences in ages where you... um, people get um, you know, well, they're not on time, or they don't actually know how a workplace runs, or they they're really self-centered, or whatever. When you have all that clarity and alignment and you are in connection with them, you're actually on a path of developing them rather than feeling like you're gonna have to be dealing with them, like they're impacting your day. Like they have come to make my day harder as a manager. No, actually, we hired you to help develop them. And Take what from them the things that they do really well, and then give to them the pieces that they don't have in place yet. Which is everyone. Uh, it's just that there's a, a wide variety now. I will say, individuals who have been who are younger have not been inside of a workplace the way the, the way the rest of us have. This is a challenge that organizations need to take on. You need to teach them how to be on a team and in a workplace, and. That, you, you had to do that anyway, you just might not have been doing it because you you thought it was taken care of. You didn't think that was the problem. Um, and so the, the idea of being really, really concrete and clear and always people, both the direct report and the manager always kind of know where they're headed and where they're at in that process. And so all of the differences get accounted for. And then when you have certain differences that are really standing out, but I haven't seen those. I haven't seen whole generations that 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 are, that are typify a certain stereotype. What I see instead are people treating them that way because they're almost afraid of it or anticipating it. And what happens? That's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy, but also... You need to set up your shop so that you have what you need and then develop people so that they give it to you.
0: There you have it. Well, this has been a great intro and really a good tease about what you do. So how would people find better resources and how to find yourself there?
1: So it's Margie.oleson. i I'm on LinkedIn. I post free resources every day for fixing your meetings and being a cohesive team and um, you know dealing with disruption and turmoil that we have right now. And you can download a case study from my website at olson-consulting.com and see how these pillars of Top Team Accelerator come to life for organizations.
0: Nice. I love it. Definitely check out Margie and... Stay tuned for the next episode of The Hardy Brain, the show that takes athletic, introverted entrepreneurs and leaders and transforms them into ironclad brain performers. Take care.